Last week I dealt with a topic uh, that really just showed that the creation is permeated with spiritual warfare. This week we're looking at a specific instance of warfare. It's a strange episode. It's odd. It takes a lot of unexpected turns and it leaves a lot of unanswered questions. That's actually one of the ways that you know that this information is rooted in history because it's not the kind of thing that someone would make up. When people make up stories, there's never really any surprises and there's no, uh, no unanswered questions. But this is full of questions and full of, of strange turns. Luke chapter 8, we'll start with verse 26. And I'm reading from the TNIV version. It says that Jesus and his disciples sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore... He was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this demon-possessed man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs, in the cemetery. I'm going to sprinkle in some comments here as I'm reading this. Uh, the, the text says that he was, this was a demon-possessed man. The Greek says he was demonized. Demonizomai is the Greek. And it literally means to be rendered passive with regard to a demon, demonizomai, to be acted on by a demon. I really don't care for the, ter- for the translation possession, demon possession. I'd rather they just translated it demonized. Uh, because possession uh, implies complete control and ownership. Whereas demonizomai simply means to be acted on by a demon, and that admits of varying degrees. You can be very demonized or just a little bit demonized. It's not an all-or-nothing kind of thing. Uh, People often ask me, can Christians be demon-possessed? And my response is always to say no. Because if you're a Christian and have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you're owned and operated by Jesus Christ. You've been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. You don't belong to anybody else. And the Holy Spirit's in in, in the process of possessing you, taking over the areas of your life. And so you can't be both owned by Jesus Christ and owned by the, the kingdom of darkness. But Christians can be demonized. You can have areas of your life that aren't fully surrendered to the Lord and that, are, that have demonic energy to them, strongholds that you have, patterns of thought and attitudes and behavior that are, acted on, that are passive with regard to demonic activity. So Christians can't be possessed, but they can be demonized. They can be oppressed. Let's move on. It says, when this man saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, Why do you want, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places, into those tombs. Uh, A really interesting uh, part of this passage. You'll note that this man, this this thoroughly demonized man, had supernatural strength, at least at times. Uh, That is one of the most common denominators that you'll find among people who are thoroughly demonized. At least at times, they, they exhibit a strength that goes far beyond ordinary human capacities. I haven't had a lot of experience in exorcism, a couple dozen times perhaps in the last 20-some years of ministry. But uh, my earliest cases, two of my earliest cases, were with, with young girls, and there's others praying with us. And both of these girls exhibited incredible strength. 
at least at times, um, it, where it was, it was very hard to control. I also want us to notice that the demon drove this man into a solitary place. Now, th- this is a fairly extreme, in fact, a very extreme example of this. But my experience uh, in ministry has taught me that there is a demonic power that when it gets really deep inside of someone, it leads them to disdain fellowship, to disdain people, to have a kind of screw-the-world mindset, and they want to go all by themselves. They always want to go off on a little island or a cave by themselves. It really is strong, I found, with people who are struggling with very damaging addictions. There's a guy that we uh, had in the church uh, some years ago who was coming out of uh, an addiction to crack cocaine, and, and he actually described it as, as uh, occasionally he'd fall back into it and just struggled with it a lot. But he said it was like a voice calling to him. He'd get into fellowship, come into the refuge, you know, and, and start getting help. But there's this voice that would sometimes call to him and say things like this. What are you doing with these losers? These, these Christians, these do-gooders, you know, they don't know you. They, don't, they act like they care about you, but they don't really care about you. No one really cares about you. There's no point to this whole thing. Why don't you just give it up and come to me? I, I, I this little crack pipe, will be your best friend. And you and I can have great times alone together in your room. And no one needs to know about it. Blow off this stupid game of the world and go into the cave alone with me. It's a strong pull. And what those of us who deal with folks that are demonized in that way, what we need to keep in mind is that we need to chain people to fellowship. You know, I always thought this guy was chained in the tombs. Kevin Callaghan, our care pastor, pointed out to me this week that he was chained in the town. It's when he broke out of the chains that he ran to the tombs. The people were trying to keep him around, even though he was so thoroughly demonized. Folks, we need to hold on to people that are struggling with addictions and other thought patterns that make them want to retreat in the cave. Put put chains of love on them and hold on to them. And if you yourself are one of those that tend to get this screw-the-world mindset, I'm going to go off on an island, I don't care about anything, don't care about fellowship or love or family, whatever. When when that's coming on you, uh, whatever you got inside of you to fight that, fight it. In Jesus' name, take authority over it and reach out to people. Let them hang on to you because you need people when you're under the pull of that sort of demonic force. Okay, moving on. It says, Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied. Because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Let's pause again. Um, Jesus asks what the name of this demon is. And all of a sudden now, the demon becomes plural. There's many demons there. That is a strange thing, but you find it a lot in, in cases of demonization where it seems like the identity boundaries between demons is, is kind of foggy. Sometimes it's singular, sometimes it's plural. So now the demon starts talking in the plural and says, we are many. There's a sort of diabolic irony to the demon's response at this point. A legion was a Roman military unit of between four and 6,000 people. And they were stationed in all foreign territories that the Romans had taken over. Their job was to make sure, to ensure that this area didn't revolt against Rome, that they stayed under uh, Roman rule. And when a legion of soldiers showed up, everybody would shudder in their boots, because that meant trouble. They're going to flex their muscle just to show who's boss. So when this demon, or these demons say, we are legion, for we are many, they're saying there's a lot of us here, and we are right now occupying this host the way the Romans are occupying you. We are in control here. But they won't be in control for long. Moving on. A large herd of pigs. 
Uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that there was 2,000 pigs. They were feeding here on the, there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs. Note that this is the first attempt for them to try to cut a deal. Don't torture us. Don't send us into the abyss. Send us into the pigs. And Jesus, surprisingly, I think, gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. This is the massive pork suicide. In my opinion, this is the single most bizarre episode in all the Gospels. It's just bizarre. It raises so many questions and gives us no answers. No one would make a story like this up, really. This is too bizarre to not be true. Why did Jesus give permission to these demons to go into the, the swine? Why did the pigs commit suicide once they were demonized? We're not told. And what happened to the demons once the pigs died? Did they just kind of go off into the air, or did they go to the abyss, or, or what happened to them? We're not told. Luke just gives us the story as it was handed on to him from the apostles, and he doesn't fill in the blanks. There's just a lot of bizarre questions surrounding this, and that's the way reality is sometimes. What I do know is that on the precedent of this story, it tells me that, at least theoretically speaking, uh, animals can be demonized. And when they are demonized, they go crazy. Um, and there probably are a few people in the congregation for whom a light just went on. That's what's going on in my home. You know? uh, I had a cat one time that, honey, didn't we have this cat? This cat was, it was at least insane and maybe demonized. I don't know. It was just a bizarre cat. It was just... So when your cat's acting out, pray over it. And uh, uh, if it starts to levitate, you know you, you've hit something. Okay, let's move on. I hate when that happens. God. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out. He was calmly sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in clothes and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, wouldn't you think they'd be happy? Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them. What a, what, a, what a thank you. Because they had been overcome with fear. So Jesus, being a gentleman, got in the boat and left. This is, this is again, very, very, very odd. Why were these people afraid? Now, I think part of an answer is this. We know from historical records and from archaeology that the land of the, this, this area of the Gerasenes was predominantly Gentile, not Jewish. It was predominantly pagan. And pagans would have interpreted what Jesus did as an act of sorcery or magic. And the average pagan was very afraid of sorcerers. They believed they were real, and they were afraid of them because sorcerers could get power over them. And so when they saw this incredible demonstration of power, they probably thought Jesus was a sorcerer, and that kind of scared them, especially in light of the fact that he just killed uh, 2,000 of their pigs. And in all probability, given that large number of swine, this probably was the main livelihood of the entire town. So these, these people, yes, they're kind of glad that he got this demon out of the guy, but then again, you can never trust a sorcerer, and he just ruined your livelihood. So they're saying, would you leave before you do any more damage? I think that's what's going on in this passage. The man from whom the demons had gone out, it says, begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away. 
Why? Saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Now, here again, there's some interesting questions. Usually when someone asked to follow Jesus, Jesus would maybe give a little challenge saying, do you know what you're doing? You know, this, I, this is going to require your life. But he would let people follow him. Here the guy was begging to follow Jesus, but he says, no, no, you go back to your town. And on top of that, very often, those of you who have read the Gospels will know that Jesus would tell people not to tell other people what happened. Don't go and spread this around. But in this case, Jesus says, go tell everybody. So what's going on here? I think, again, part of the answer is that we're here in a Gentile pagan region. Um, this man wants to follow Jesus, but Jesus is going back to the Jewish region, and as many of you know, the Jews wouldn't have listened to a pagan testimony anyways. Uh, they're, not, um, they're not interested in, in, in what pagans have to say. So he's not going to do much good over there. On the other hand, Jesus sends him back to the pagan area. Now, the reason why Jesus kept a lid on things in, the, in a Jewish area is because he didn't want to tick off the Jewish authorities too much before it was time. He was buying time, I think. Uh, he needed three years to lay the foundation for this coming kingdom. But in a Gentile region, that wasn't a concern at all. So he turns this man into an evangelist and says, go tell everyone what God had done for you. And note here, the emphasis is on what God did for you because what those people need to see and need to believe is that it wasn't magic that did this, it was God. And so the man goes back to his town and says to them, God, working through Jesus, freed me. It wasn't magic. And so he becomes sort of a Christian evangelist to his pagan area. Okay, I want to quickly bring out five brief but important points from this passage that pertain to the warfare that all of us are called to be engaged in. Five quick points. Point number one, simple and basic but important. Demons are real. They are real, folks. There's a lot of people today who think that that is a medieval piece of superstition and that we intelligent, at least Western, enlightened people can no longer believe in this sort of thing. It's kind of a, a, uh, a view that's all over the place out there. Uh, I don't buy it. <laughs> When I was at this science and theology conference in June, the, uh, a very reputable scientist came and, and gave a, a, a talk. And um, among the things he said in his talk was that he thought that diseases and infirmities and even mental illnesses and things of that sort are simply the natural but unfortunate consequences of the laws that God put in place in creation. So it was all kind of of God, even though it was unfortunate. I offered an objection by saying, because I know he knew he was a Christian, but I said, well, what do you do, you know, when Jesus, he, he often identified sicknesses and illnesses and, and things that looked like mental illnesses as having kind of a demonic origin. What do you think about that? And his response, which is kind of what you'd expect from a lot of academics in Western culture, his response was, well, of course, it's the first century and, and you know, everybody in the first century, you know, would tag physical illnesses and mental illnesses as being demonic in origin. But we're in the 21st century, so we can no longer believe that. Now, now, what I'm wondering about with regard to this passage is this. If really, when they say demons were involved, it was simply uh, their way of tagging a mental illness, could somebody tell me how anyone could transfer a mental illness from a human to a bunch of pigs? I'm really curious about that one. Uh, you know, how, how do you like take the illness out of somebody and put it into somebody else? That's quite a trick. To me, that seems like more of a miracle than just believing in demons. I, I... But beyond that, 
the teaching about demons and warfare isn't like a little peripheral, you know, uh, first century cultural accommodation to the gospel. It's at the heart of it. The warfare permeates the heart of it. And so on the authority of the word of God, I'm here to tell you that demons are real. Not only that, but I'll tell you that from my own experience, I can tell you that demons are real. I haven't had a lot of experience in this area. Uh, as I said before, a couple dozen of, of exorcisms in 20-some in years. But even what I've seen is enough to make it so you're going to have a hard time convincing me that this stuff isn't real. Uh, one case that I dealt with, the most interesting case I dealt with, was of uh, very early on, this is the early 90s, of a young girl who was demonized. And as I said before, she, she was one of the ones that had the supernatural strength. We, were, we had about four, five, six people praying for her. And I was in charge of one arm to keep her from hitting herself because she was pulverizing herself. And if she got a chance, she'd take a whack at us. So I was holding one arm as we're praying for her. And she was, she was kind of jerking me around. Uh, and I'm no Guliman. I mean, come on. I, I, but this guy was strong. And at one point, she grabbed my shirt and pulled me. No, ouch. <laughs> I just slugged myself. Pod people, you should have seen that one. I just hit myself in the nose. But I think I'm going to be all right. She pulled me to her, her nose. So our eyes are about five inches from each other. She's growling obscenities in this grovelly, sick voice. Kind of thing. And then she's staring at me eye to eye. And one of her eyes, her left eye, goes counterclockwise three times. It goes zoop, zoop, zoop. And then she throws me and starts laughing. And I totally freaked out. I, 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 uh, the spiritual warrior, I, 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 never, I, I had never seen anything like that. And I walked around the room kind of shaking like this. I, I, I just, I, it was a strange thing. I didn't even know I was doing that for about 10 minutes. And then I got mad, like, oh, I just got intimidated. Rats. And then I went back to, to the battle. I, I'm not supposed to do that. But I was still, I was on a big learning curve here. Um, well, Someone explained to me how that can be explained by saying this was just a natural mental disorder or physical infirmity of something of this sort. Demons are real. Paul Eddy and I teach a course on this at Bethel College, and we've done a lot of research into this. And there's incredible, compelling, empirical evidence for the reality of the demonic. Some of the best evidence comes not from Christian sources, but from secular anthropologists who on the field just encounter all sorts of bizarre stuff. I'm talking... Uh, you know, things flying in rooms and, and people levitating and, and bodies being contorted in positions that would normally be impossible to, to ever attain. And, and these are unbelievers, just secular anthropologists telling us what they witness on the mission field. I'm here to tell you that demons are real. In fact, it's not just demons that are real, but the devil is real, and there's powers and rulers and authorities and dominions. In fact, this, this world, this cosmos, is populated by an entire society of invisible agents that, that, are, that have different levels of power. Demons are actually at the bottom of the whole thing. But the stuff is real, and the warfare is real, and if we're ever going to be effective in the kingdom of God, we've got to walk with that mindset. We're dealing with reality here, folks. Second point. When you're dealing with demonic oppression, possession, whatever you want to call it, shoot in all directions. I, I get asked a lot by people, how do you know that you're dealing with a demon? 
versus just something that is sort of part of the natural fallen world. A person maybe has compulsive thoughts or they hear voices, they got inordinate sin cravings all of a sudden, they, 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 have, uh, they can't control their emotions perhaps, they have violent outbursts, maybe they have self-damaging behavior. How do you know that that is a demon versus whether it's just a, a natural a mental disorder or something of the sort? Or even with regard to physical disabilities, physical infirmities, how do you know if it's just sort of part of the natural world or if, it's, if, or, or if there's a demonic force behind it? And my answer is always this. Like many areas, we don't know. Ahead of time, we don't know. Unless God gives you a word of knowledge, what the Bible calls a word of knowledge, where you get a piece of information you couldn't have learned on your own. Unless that happens, and it can happen, but unless that happens, you don't know ahead of time what you're dealing with. And so I encourage people to shoot at everything. Shoot in the natural direction and shoot in the spiritual direction because you don't know what the primary cause is. Shoot in the natural direction. I mean by that just this. Do do due diligence on what possible natural explanation there could be for whatever you're dealing with. There are some brain disorders that can look really demonic, but they're just brain disorders affected by the fallen world and in that sense still under the oppression of the enemy, but there's not a, a specific demonic force behind it. Uh, Tourette's syndrome sometimes and schizophrenia sometimes and other disorders sometimes could really look demonic, but we know that it's due to a chemical imbalance in the brain. Realize that the brain is simply part of your physical body. It is the most complex muscle in your body, but it's a muscle nonetheless. It operates by being finely tuned in, uh, uh, in terms of its chemical balances. And when the chemicals and the firings of the, the brain don't operate just right, it can make a person's experience of the world and therefore interaction with the world completely bizarre. And sometimes it can look demonic. When what they need really is, is medication uh, to, to uh, level the playing fee, uh, field in their brain. I know some Christians have had weird hang-ups about taking uh, a psychiatric medication. But that's no different than taking Pepto-Bismol for an upset stomach. It's just a little bit more complicated because the brain's a lot more complicated than the stomach. So if you need medication for mental disorders, uh, then take medication for, for the disorder. There's no shame in that. And if you need medication for a physical disorder, take medication uh, for that disorder. There's no shame in that. Shoot in the direction of the natural. But at the same time, shoot in the direction of the spiritual. And come against anything that might be there in the spiritual realm that's either causing this or at least aggravating this. I always tell people this. Look, it, it may be that the, the, uh, a person has a weakness or a vulnerability just by virtue of being born in a fallen world. They have either a mental or a physical weakness that is there. And so the primary cause is maybe physical. But at the very least, Satan, if he's got any spare reserves, would love to keep that person in that state of weakness and vulnerability and maybe pain. So he'll assign something to keep that person in a state of vulnerability and pain. Now the main problem is, is a physical one, so you've got to address it physically. But it's also being aggravated by these demonic forces, so you've got to address it spiritually. Shoot in both directions. I, 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 I always tell people when, when they manifest something, uh, that, you know, whether it's compulsive thoughts or attitudes or whatever, I say, well, let's get that checked out by doctors. At the same time, let me pray for you. And I come against anything that might be there in the spiritual realm. I say stuff like this. Lord, if there's anything in the spiritual realm that is causing or at least intensifying this infirmity, I take authority over it in Jesus' name. I bind it in Jesus' name. I apply the victory of the cross to this in Jesus' name. I declare this person and their mind and their body to be kingdom property. So everything in the spiritual realm that's not of God has got to leave right here and right now. And you pray along those lines. 
And you'll, you'll, you'll find out eventually what it primarily was on the basis of what works. Uh, if the medication helps, that means that at least me, me, the, the physical problem was part of the problem. If you find that doing the warfare prayer frees the person instantaneously, that means the spiritual issue was the primary thing. But to go into it, you shoot in both directions. Point number three, engage in spiritual warfare simply. Simply. When I first encountered uh, the demonic in the late 80s and early 90s, I, as a Christian, always believed it was true. I just never had experienced it, so it never really impacted my life. It wasn't really part of my worldview. When I experienced it, it broke my world open. I just had a different way of looking at the world. And th the way I respond to these sorts of things is I do research. So I spent a number of years researching spiritual warfare and the demonic and, and, and the Bible, what the Bible says about it. My books, God at War and Satan and the Problem of Evil, are the fruit of that research. Now, in the early stages of this research, I, I went to a lot of seminars on spiritual warfare. And I will tell you that 90% of what I heard in 90% of these conferences, I don't think had anything to do with the Bible. Uh, most of it was, was a version of hocus pocus, folks. I, I'm sorry. I, I, just, I was shocked to, to discover this. A lot of it was just very flaky. In fact, a lot of it looks a whole lot like the way they used to do exorcisms among the pagans in the ancient world. Ancient Egyptians, they had magical incantations and formulas and charting out, you know, lists of demons and powers. And, and the exorcist had to have all this knowledge about who ranks over who, and you got to get the name. And if it's this demon, you got to use this prayer. And if it's that demon, you got to use this prayer. And make sure you're buying this kind this way and that kind that, that, that way. And do this one first and that one second and this one third. And, and make sure you bind it in the head and not the stomach because people get upset. But if it's this kind of demon, you bind it in the stomach and not the head because it will give them a headache. And, and all the, it was, it was like, where are you guys getting? this stuff. It was, just, it was, it was just this, this formulaic kind of magical approach to things, sometimes using trinkets and charms and holy water and, and all sorts of stuff. None of that was in the Bible. And then a lot of times they would do these background checks on people, in fact, a lot of the time, where they, they do this interrogation list. You know, have you ever, have you ever gone out on Halloween? Have you ever played with a magic eight ball? Have you ever played with a Ouija board? Have you ever done Dungeons and Dragons? Did you ever used to watch Bewitched? Did you ever? And, and a list of these things. So they, in the end, everybody felt like they were demonized, you know? <laughs> now, the, the thing is, there, there's times where you got to break generational curses and stuff. I got that. But, but Jesus and his disciples never got into that stuff. You never find Jesus doing a background check. You never find Jesus doing magic, having formulas. He, he, he is radically different from what everyone else in the culture is doing precisely because his is so simple. And his disciples follow his example. They just keep it simple. You confront something, you confront something. You, you come against it in Jesus' name. You bring the power of God against it. You don't need to find out all this information and, and whatnot about the person or about the demonic realm. You just do warfare. And if it was good enough for Jesus and good enough for the disciples, I think it's good enough for us. When you confront something demonic, keep it simple. You just plow forward in Jesus' name. You just pray in Jesus' name. He's already got the victory on Calvary. Your job is just to apply that victory to this person right here and right now. Amen. Just come against it in prayer. And if it doesn't fix things right away, you keep on praying. And don't be afraid of repetition. The power is not in your formula. The power is not in saying all the right words. You can repeat yourself all you want. The power is in the fact that you're aligning your heart with God's heart, which always releases spiritual power. And you're like pushing this demonic rock up a hill to get it off of the, 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 this person. Just engage in the warfare and keep on pressing. So keep it simple. Point number four, 
Engage in spiritual warfare wisely. Wisely. Uh, episodes like the one that we're reading here this morning are really extreme. In fact, most of the episodes you read in the Bible where Jesus confronts demons, they, they're in the Bible not because they're typical. They're in the Bible because they're atypical. Because the, the goal of the gospel authors is to magnify Jesus' power. And so they look at the ministry of Jesus and they pull out the most extreme things he's done in order to put the glory of Jesus on display. But that doesn't mean that that's the main way that we do warfare, not by any means. The, the main way we do warfare on a day-by-day basis, these extreme cases can happen. I, I, I've dealt with them. They're real. But the main way we do warfare is much more subtle and takes a lot more wisdom than these overt confrontations. In these overt confrontations, it just, it takes faith, it takes knowing who you are in Christ, and it takes persistence. You just come against it in Jesus' name. But the warfare we do on a day-by-day basis, folks, uh, is much more subtle and takes much more wisdom. We need to understand that we live in a fallen world that is polluted with, 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 with demonic forces. And there is a demonic pull on us that subtly pulls at our attitudes to make our attitudes go south. There can be a demonic pull that enforces the lies that we automatically tell ourselves in our brain. There can be a demonic pull to, that, that leads us to be hesitant on forgiving somebody and to hang on to a grudge a little bit longer and a demonic pull that makes us feel like that is actually satisfying as we sink into bitterness. There can be a demonic pull that calls us to compromise the integrity of our kingdom values and buy into some of the values of the culture that are really antithetical to the kingdom. There can be a demonic pull that slowly and maybe unnoticeably pulls us into greed and self-centeredness and and anger towards our enemies rather than love towards our enemies and hostility towards our national enemies rather than having a love even for our national enemies. Spiritual warfare is something that we deal with in our day-to-day living, in our relationships with our spouse, in our relationship with our kids, in our relationship with our neighbor, the strangers, our friends, our enemies. It characterizes all of our life. There's a demonic pull that is there. And see, if you don't know that, you can be sucked in by that. You just think it's you. But in fact, know that there's a force that's out there to pull you into this. When you fall back into that negative attitude that you've once got out of and now starting to characterize you again, notice that and take authority over anything in the spiritual realm that might be pulling you in that direction. Get mad at that. Don't don't go killing yourself over this. Get mad at that and realize that it's more than just about you. When you're gossiping about, about people in, 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 the, in the office, that's more than just gossip. There's a power that's laughing at the whole thing because he's using you all as pawns. See the bigger picture here. And I, include, I, I encourage you here, as well as in the overt cases of demonization, to shoot in both directions. Take authority over what you need to take authority over, but also shoot in the direction of the natural. Ask yourself the question, what can I do concretely to keep myself from being, to falling back into that attitude or that behavior or that, happen, that, that habit? Walk in wisdom about this. Don't think that taking authority over things in the spiritual realm is going to fix you. There's sometimes things that you've got to do, practical, wise things to keep from falling. So for example, uh, single folks, listen up. If you find that you go out on dates and, and sometimes end up in the sack with somebody, uh, yes, take authority over whatever it is in your being that's making you vulnerable to that and, and apply the blood of Jesus and, and revoke it and whatever. 
At the same time, ask yourself the practical question. How can I avoid those kind of situations where I know I'm weakened? Uh, maybe you want to ask a friend to hold you accountable and you call them before the date and you call them right after the date and you have to give an honest account of what happened. That helps. Uh, maybe for a year or two or three, you don't go out on dates alone. Maybe you, that's just a weak area for you. Uh, I, whatever it takes to put up props to help you walking in the straight and narrow, do that. Some people find, some young people find, some older folks find that five minutes of kissing is about all it takes for the frontal lobe cortex, which does all the, the rational thinking, to shut, shut down. And then a different part of the brain starts op operating, your reptilian brain stem sending out testosterone all over your being. And before you know it, your, your, your hands are going places where you know your hands shouldn't go. Know that about yourself. Take authority, bind it in Jesus' name, but don't think that that's going to fix it next time you're kissing. Uh, maybe you mean that you need to make a wise decision, a covenant with your date that you, that you only kiss for four minutes. Because you know that the next minute, I'm serious. Well, see, if you laughed at that, you're going to die at this one. I, when I was a new Christian, I was a feisty, you know, young man. I'm still feisty, but I was a feisty young man. And uh, uh, I, five minutes was about my limit. And so there's a period of time when I would date girls. Uh, well, I, I put a timer on my watch. <laughs> this... Go! <laughs> we got five minutes. Let's wait a minute. You know. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm serious. And, and I would tell them, okay, I, I, when this buzzer goes off, no matter what I say, please stop. Because I, I may beg, I may everything. I may break the watch, but I'll, you know, let's make a covenant here. Because I want to walk with God. You want to walk with God. And, 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 and so... And I know it's juvenile and delinquent, but when it comes to sex, a lot of times we're juvenile and delinquent. Let's be honest about that. So do what you need to do to tame the juvenile and, and bring parameters. Yes, shoot in the spiritual direction, but take authority, over it, uh, take authority over it in the spiritual realm. But also do what is practical to do. Know yourself. If you, can't, if you find you're always falling onto internet porn, uh, get a block. Take authority over it. Bind the spirit of pornography in your life. Yes. And now... Get a block on your, on, your, on, your, on your internet. Or if that doesn't work, because I hear you can get around those things, get rid of your internet. If that doesn't work, break the computer. <laughs> and get people around you to hold you accountable, because you may find a way to even get around that. I mean, we've got to be honest and wise about dealing with these issues in our life. And the final thing I want to say is this. Never, ever fear. So what I've learned is that, that some people respond, when all of a sudden it becomes real to them that there are demons in the world, they respond kind of the way a certain percentage of people respond when they find out that there's germs in the world. <laughs> really, really. You know, in, in fourth grade, you learn about germs, or whenever they teach it now, you learn about germs. There's these critters all over the place, and they want to get in and make you sick. And, 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 and uh, for most people that, you know, you, you just take precautions, uh, you know it modifies your behavior. i got to stop chewing the gum that's been stuck under the chair for four months. Uh, you know, I thought it was free gum all this time. You know, it's like, it loosens up after a while if you chew it long enough. I, I, okay, that's off. I got that. Oh, you did it too. Um, you didn't? <laughs> it was only me? I, I thought it was free gum. Okay, so, see, I was into recycling way before you guys were. I, I'm righteous. And you know that you're supposed to wash your hands after you go to the bathroom and whatever. Okay, so, and then you get on with your life. But a certain percentage of people, when they hear about germs, 
It like jars their brain. All of a sudden they become obsessed with germs. And, and uh, uh, it does more than just modify their behavior. It starts to control their behavior. And they become paralyzed in fear. And they start acting like little versions of Howard Hughes where they, they wash their hands compulsively or, or something of the sort. Some people are like that with regard to demons. They hear about demons. Now, we ought to know about them. We ought to, you know, take precautions against them. We ought, we ought to know that we're called to be in warfare against them. But then we've got to get on with our kingdom life and not be paying them too much attention. Um, never should the lesson or the knowledge about demons paralyze a person in fear. It can be scary at first. I got that. I'm telling you that there are little virus, spiritual viruses all over the place that are trying to get into your being. That's true. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that's the same as physical viruses and germs. They're trying to get into your being. We've got to deal with that. Not only that, but I'm telling you that they're just the bottom of the pack. They're the grunts of the spiritual realm. You've got uh, fallen angels, principalities, powers, dominions, authorities, and Satan himself to contend with, and they pollute the environment. Now aren't you scared to death? See, I've got good news for you here. I've got good news for you here. If you know who you are in Christ, you have immunity. You have immunity. You have got the best sanitation in the universe. You have no business fearing these things. Look at this passage here. Uh, it's found in, in the first chapter of Ephesians. And I'll be done in four minutes. Tell the children in this area we're going to go over just four minutes. It says, God, this is so incredible. God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand. That's the position of power. And it's, a, it's a Jewish phrase for the power position. So God seated Jesus in his power position in the heavenly realms. Far above, not just a little, all, not just some, rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be named. Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things, not just some things, under his feet. This is starting to sound good, isn't it? Now, now look at this. Seven verses later, Paul says this. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Yes. Do the math. Do the math. Jesus is far above all powers. We're seated with Jesus, therefore we are seated far above all powers. Christians, you got no business fearing these little spiritual viruses that are called demons. You're at the top of the spiritual food chain. They're at the bottom of the spiritual food chain. You got no business being afraid of them. For a Christian to be afraid of demonic forces is like a lion being afraid of an ant. Or it's like, it's like a, a mighty warrior being afraid of a toddler with a little toy gun. You've got no business being afraid of them. Know who you are in Christ Jesus. Know where you're seated. Know who's got you. Know what your true identity is. When you find yourself being assailed by demonic forces or someone you love, you feel like there's an oppression there. Do not freak out. Never fear. Perfect love, it says, cast out all fear. God has not given to you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. When you are confronting spiritual forces, this is the time to remind yourself what is true. What is true? You say to yourself, oh yeah, that's right. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm seated far above all principalities and powers and therefore all, far above all demonic forces. I have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. I am bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. I belong to Jesus Christ. I, I, say to yourself when you're, when you're doing warfare, I know who I am. I'm a child of the King, a child of the Most High God. Filled with the Spirit and filled with power and filled with joy. When you're confronting demonic forces, do not fear, but just remind yourself 
that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Far greater, amen? When you're finding yourself being assailed by demonic forces, it's the time to remind yourself you got the word of truth, the, the, the word of power. It's time to rise up against them. It's time to remind yourself that you're a walking, talking temple of God packed full of the Spirit of God Almighty. You've got no business fearing anything in the demonic realm. When you find yourself being assailed, that's the time to remind yourself, second, or, or Colossians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, that when, when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, all your sins were nailed to the cross, so the principalities and the powers were disarmed. They got no ammo on you anymore. They're broke. In fact, the Bible says they're made a laughing stock. The difference between you and demonic forces is greater than the difference between a lion and an ant. Know who you are. Know your identity. Know your position in Christ Jesus and take authority. And that's how God spreads his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, his will on earth as it is in heaven. Close your eyes for a moment as I just ask the Holy Spirit to seal this message in our hearts. And I want you to know that when we're going to be dismissed, if you want to come forward for prayer, our prayer team will be up here and they'd love to pray with you. Maybe you're in the middle of warfare and you need some, some, some help with it. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come forward. Uh, don't leave in that condition. Uh, and these folks would love to pray you into the kingdom. But Holy Spirit, we you seal this message in our hearts right now? If there's anyone here that is plagued by fear over anything that was said this morning, Holy Spirit, will you just show them that there need be no fear? Let perfect love cast out fear. And Holy Spirit, help them to take thoughts captive so they know their true identity in Christ Jesus. Give them a spirit of fearlessness and boldness so that they can see the enemy realm as a laughing stock instead of something they need to be paranoid about. And Holy Spirit, make us, help us to be honest with ourselves as I ask this question. Is there any area of your life where you are rendered passive with regard to demonic activity? Is there an area of your life that's not surrendered to Christ? Is there an attitude, perhaps, a behavior, perhaps, a relationship, perhaps, that's not under the authority of Jesus Christ? Is there a stronghold in your life? Just be honest. And maybe right now, you, you don't want to admit that because you don't want to give it up. I got that. But is there, I want you to search your heart. Are you willing to, even though right now you don't feel like you want to give it up, to at least turn it over to Christ enough to say, Lord, help me not to want to hold on to this. Will you commit right now to surrendering that area to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Because he's the only one that can now cancel the demonic activity and free you, free you. The greatest lie of the enemy is when he gets us to like our chains. We think we need them. Turn over to Christ. Holy Spirit, right now, seal this message in our heart. Set the captives free. Liberate your people to walk in the freedom and the fullness and the love and the liberty of the kingdom of God as we leave this place in Jesus' name. And all God's people said one more time, amen. God bless you. Hang out and get some brats. And then go to the baptism. Two o'clock, Lake Phelan. Join us at the baptism.